you all for coming tonight. I just want this to be an introductory section tonight on the book of James. I think we'll enjoy it. Different brothers will be helping me to teach, and so it will be a variety of wonderful truths, I believe, that will be learned. So in the book of James, I've come up with several sections of scriptures that will run for 24 weeks, starting tonight and ending with the conclusion at the end of February. We'll take a break the eve of Thanksgiving, the night before Thanksgiving. We won't meet on Christmas Day, and we won't meet on New Year's Day. So the Lord willing, we will continue. If you have a pen, you can take down these numbers so you can feel connected uh, to us. My reason for doing this is any week we've got men out of town traveling that consider this their church home. Uh, one week I counted up in my head eight guys that were out of town. Last week I know of two. One was in Phoenix and one was in Paris. There may have been some more. And I know in a couple weeks one's heading off to Minnesota. And this is a way we can go through a book together as a men's group and not necessarily be in the same room. This is a number to call if you're not here, if you want to listen at the same time. And then I'll give you another number to dial if you're not able to tie in with us at 7 p.m. You can call in later and listen to a recording of what you heard. So the number to call in to listen is 712-432-1500. 712-432-1500. And you'll hear the phone Answer, and a voice will say, enter your access code, and our access code is 743-883, followed by the pound sign. That's 743-883, followed by the pound sign. If you're not able to listen at the same time, maybe you're working that night or you've got something else going on, you can't come here, you're celebrating your anniversary or whatever, you can listen later to a recording, and the recording playback number is 712 712- 432-1202. That's 712-432-1202. The access code is the same, 743-883, followed by the pound sign. 743-883, followed by the pound sign. That is for listening to the playback. We're going to look at the book of James. This book is probably one of my favorite. Every time I teach a book or whatever, it's my favorite book. But in reality, as a kid, there was two books I read the most. The book of James and the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis I read the most because I would set a goal. I'm going to read through the Bible, and I wouldn't make it through Exodus. Man, I got lost in the tabernacle. A few months later, I'd feel condemned or convicted or whatever, and I'd start over again, back through Genesis. So I love Genesis. Genesis is an awesome book. I see Jesus all through that book. And I love the book of James. James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. I love the book of Proverbs as well. It's full of wisdom for us to heed, and I love the book of James. James is the English word that means Jacob. Now, how it got translated to James, I'm not sure. I know Yaakov is Jacob in Hebrew, and Jacobus is Jacob in Greek. But somehow, translating the Greek to English, it becomes James. So it means Jacob. The name Jacob isn't necessarily a good meaning. It means supplanter or replacer or a competitor. A mover and a shaker. It can be a good thing. just depends on what you're moving and shaking. There's four James I know of in the New Testament. There's James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Remember, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and kill people. Their mama 
came and pled their case, said, can my son sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom? And Jesus told her, basically, she didn't know what she was talking about. But it is ironic that when it came to the death of the eleven, now, you know, Judas withdrew from the eleven, but those who died in the eleven, James was the first one. Remember, he was beheaded, and then Peter got arrested, and the church prayed, and he got delivered. I wonder how they handled that. Rejoicing over Peter's deliverance and then having a funeral for James. <laughs> God messes with our minds, doesn't he? The last one to die was her other son, John. So James was the first, and John was the last, and John died a natural death as far as we know. That's one of the James. Another James is often called James the Lesser because we know less about him. Maybe he was smaller. James the son of Alphaeus. He was also one of the twelve. And then there's a James who's a brother of a disciple called Judas. Now, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas. And he had a relative, some translations say his father, others say his brother, named James. And then James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And what I'm about to say is discredited by the Catholic Church because they must not deny the perpetual ongoing virginity of Jesus, of, of Mary. And, of course, of Jesus, of course, too. We hold to the ongoing perpetual virginity of Jesus, don't we? <laughs> he wasn't married, sin. He didn't sin. So had to be a virgin perpetually. It still is. But his mama didn't have to be. And the reason I believe she had other children is Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. The angel had visited Joseph and told him to not be afraid to take unto him his wife, because that child in her is of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to put her away, break up with her, do whatever he could, and wanted to do it as discreetly as he could, I believe, because he knew the baby wasn't his. And this angel visited him. Matthew says he did not know her until after Jesus was born. And we know what no means. Adam knew Eve, and she bore Cain. So it's knowing in this in the sense of biblical knowing. In Luke two seven, it says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, which is Jesus. Jesus is her firstborn son. I think it's implied there's other sons, right? That she had. In Matthew twelve fifty five and Mark six three, it lists the names of four brothers of Jesus. There's Jude. Or Judas. Imagine Jesus had a brother named Judas. Joseph, Simon, and James. These brothers are not listed by name, but in Acts 1.14, it says they're there in the upper room in, in waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in Acts 1.14. Jude wrote a book, one of the brothers, and in the first verse of his book, he calls himself a servant, just like James calls himself a servant. And he says, I'm, I'm servant of God and brother of James. So, if you triangulate, I think James, the half-brother of Jesus, definitely existed. We'll share a couple other things why I think he's the one that wrote this book. Paul referred to him in Galatians 1.19. He talks about going to Arabia for three years, and afterwards he went to Jerusalem and met with Cephas, and he met with James, the Lord's brother. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about going back to Jerusalem, and this is where he's referring to that meeting that happened in Acts chapter 15. 
And there he meets with Peter, John, and James. And by that time, I believe John's brother James was dead. This James became a spokesman of the church in Jerusalem. When we see him appear, they do not say James, the brother of John, or James, the son of Alphaeus. They just call him James. And I believe Josephus says that he is the brother of Jesus. In Acts chapter 15, James led the discussion with the apostles that were present and Paul and Barnabas to discuss what to do with Gentile believers. They had a meeting, kind of like we would have a meeting here of leaders. Let's say we got an influx of ex-cons. What do we do? People are freaking out. We've got to do something to make people feel secure, but also make them feel welcome. So they made a ruling. They had a big discussion because the church was having an influx of Gentiles, not ex-cons, but Gentiles who did not practice the law of Moses. They didn't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Today is Rosh Hashanah, by the way. They didn't know how to blow a shofar, and they weren't circumcised. And so they met together and had a time of prayer, and James was a spokesman. Thank the Lord for James. He said, let's lay no greater burden on them than to abstain from idolatry, all forms of idolatry, and that covers a lot of stuff. Abstain from fornication, that's all forms of sexual sin. I was on a bus coming back from Atlanta. I went to Atlanta to see my parents on the megabus because it's cheap, and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to have an adventure. I've been on enough airplane. So I got to ride both ways on the second floor right by the windshield. And on the way back, I had a very interesting discussion. They wanted to talk about homosexuals in the church. And they said, uh, what do you think about homosexuals in leadership in the church? It's not right, is it? And I noticed one of the guys sitting with us was really quiet. And I thought, you know what, if he's a homosexual, I don't want him to feel pounced on by this group of Christians that are being real opinionated. I said, well, it is a kind of fornication, and all fornication to be abstained from. He says, oh, no, we're not talking about fornication. I said, we're not. He says, no, because we are all fornicators here. <laughs> and nobody else there disagreed with them. What about them gays? The word fornication is mentioned in Acts 15. The word gay isn't because I believe gay means happy. And Anyway, homosexuality isn't mentioned because it's part of, it's part of immorality. It's part of fornication, fornication. Fornication. Actually, the word porn comes from the word for fornication in the Bible. And so he was a great spokesman. He also said they should abstain from blood and strangled meat. He sent the word greeting in Greek with this letter that they sent to the church, he sent the word greeting with the same kind of grammar used. It's only used one other place in the Bible, this word greeting, and the way he used it. It's absolute infinitive present active for the word chero, with this letter in Acts 15. And the only other place it is in the Bible is the opening of this book, James 1.1, the last word of chapter 1, verse 1, is the word greetings that word chero, in those tenses in that part of the Greek way of expressing things. So I think James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this book. One other thing about James that's very interesting is 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the Lord's appearances after his resurrection. And he said one of the appearances, he appeared to James and the apostles. He obviously was emphasizing somebody who was important at the time he wrote it and emphasizing somebody that wasn't one of the twelve. I believe he became an apostle, he became the bishop of the Church of Jerusalem, and he became an author of one of the books of the Bible, the writer. This letter also 
I think, parallels the Sermon on the Mount. I think if James, the brother of Jesus, wrote it, it is awesome because he had more time with Jesus than any of them, even though he wasn't one of the twelve, wasn't there for the three-and-a-half-year journey. He was at a distance. He wasn't sure whether or not Jesus was for real. How many got some kin folks that kind of embarrass you? He was kind of an embarrassment to them. But man, after the resurrection, they were converted. They became full-blown believers. So let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. So James just introduces himself, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, like Jude, calls himself a servant. Jude adds a word, and brother of James. He doesn't say James an apostle, or James the bishop of Jerusalem, or James Jesus' favorite brother, or James one of Mary's boys. He just humbles himself. He's a servant. And I think in this day and time, we have far too many titles in the Christian world. I think it's important to honor one another and to function in the callings with which he's called us. I saw a guy the other day out of Africa. His title was Reverend Dr. Prince. I mean, give me a break. Reverend Dr. Prince? What happened to servant? We've got to return back to humility. I think he was a humble brother. Servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is submitting to his brother's superiority. Submitting to his brother's superiority. Another unique parallel between him and his brother is the way history has recorded that he died. They said he was a man of prayer, and they called him camel knees. He prayed so much his knees had calluses on them, and they were not good looking. What motivated him to pray like that? Well, if he was really close to Jesus, he would miss him. I mean, I want to see Jesus, but I won't miss him. You know what I mean? I have a son named Zane and a brother named Regan and another brother named Marvin and my parents, and I miss them, and so I call them when I miss them. But I want to see Jesus. Sometimes i got to get motivated to pray. You know what I mean? I don't miss him. He missed Jesus, and to the extent it did something physical to his body in prayer, he would just pray so much it would do a number on his knees. When he died, he was martyred. They say they took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. You remember where Satan tempted Jesus to jump off? They took him up there and threw him down. Before they threw him down, the Pharisees began yelling, saying, where is the door of Jesus? Where is the door Jesus is coming down? Where is this gate? Where is this doorway? And it's ironic to me that in James 5, verse 8, he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So they're taunting him about Jesus being at some door. <laughs> Could it be they knew of this writing? I don't know. Why would they say that? But anyway, he fell off that thing they threw him off, and he didn't die. He laid down there with broken bones and bleeding, and he begins to pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And they came up with a big club and began beating him and stoning him until he died. And he prayed the whole time, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So this was a guy that had wisdom. So I'm looking forward to digging into this book. He calls himself a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he addresses it to the 12 tribes. Now, some experts said he's not really James writing this, but he's 
using a pseudonym because there is a unique parallel here. He begins to speak prophetically to the 12 tribes like Jacob, the other Jacob, did in Genesis 49 when he gathers his 12 sons around him, the fathers of the 12 tribes around him, and begins to prophesy over them, speaking his, making his best attempt to give you know, words of wisdom from God. And here, another Jacob delivers wisdom and addresses it to the 12 tribes. I think he's just using his name to an advantage. Also, I think he is addressing it to the 12 tribes that are scattered. 12 tribes is a word that refers to the Jews around the world. They were called through Abraham to be a blessing to the nations, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't even be a blessing to the Lord, so God allowed the northern kingdom to get carried off into captivity and then later he allowed the southern kingdom to be carried off into captivity. He allowed them to come back. But every time they came back, there would be a residue of them scattered across the world, retaining their law-keeping culture, building places to meet in, which was a setup for the gospel to come. And guys like Paul would go into a town, visit the synagogue, and there was already an established fear of God there and respect for the law. And he would preach how Jesus fulfilled the law and lead them to salvation. And then a church would be born. And so the promise made to Abraham of them being a light to the nations was fulfilled going through this 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. The word scattered means diaspora. It means a sowing. You remember Jesus said a sower scatters seed on good ground and bad ground and thorny ground and stony ground. They were scattered. They were diaspora across the world. I think God used it to help them fulfill their prophetic destiny. The church was born. So it is, James is sending this letter out to them, and that they will glean wisdom from him. If this goes to churches at meeting in synagogues across the Roman Empire, this letter is duplicated, eventually it will trickle down and bless the Gentiles. And it did, to the point that the church really is a Gentile church. And we're trying to regain our Jewish roots. And today, I think there's about 200 congregations in Israel, and some wonderful things are happening in the Messianic movement around the world. Not in America so much, but in other nations, it's happening great. Most Jews come to Christ through Gentile churches here. So don't be intimidated if you know a Jewish person. 85% of them don't go to synagogue anyway, so they're not impressed if you wear a yarmulke and blow a shofar. They need to see the love of God. They don't have a respect for the law anymore here in this country. They're secular and they're thinking generally. But that's a whole nother subject. And then here's this word greeting. Let me read it again. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And this is the same word he used when he sent that letter with those four requirements for Gentile believers in Acts 15. I think it's the same James. And it's my prayer that we glean wisdom from the Lord from this book. I want to conclude with this emphasis. Believing with all my heart that Jesus had four brothers, and knowing that he did not begin his public ministry for 30 years, what did he do? Was he just studying the Word all the time, or was he just building tables and chairs? Or if you study the makeup of the land around Nazareth, there wasn't any trees there. And the Greek word for carpenter also means stonemason. So chances are he worked with stone more than he did wood. 
it's anything like the carpenters of the days long ago. They did everything. <laughs> they worked with stone, wood, and do it all. Not so specialized back in the back in the day. So he was a builder, I believe, which I think is cool because he promises to build his church. What did he do at home? I think he was an influence on his siblings. If he didn't sin and he didn't have a public ministry, he obviously had an influence on his siblings. He was ready to teach at the age of 12. So those four brothers, and he had sisters, doesn't say how many, so you know, plural means two or more. So possibly six siblings or more, he was an influence to them. No wonder that you know, when the resurrection happened, they, I believe all of them, I don't know, I can't prove that, but they followed in his footsteps. It's important that we value the little ones around us. We may feel called to have tents and 18-wheelers and do great things for God, but there's Junior sitting at your table or living across the street that needs to know Jesus loves them. It's important. Billy Graham is highly revered in our culture and even revered in our church, but he was a young man once that somebody showed the love of God to, and it's important. And so James was a kid once. Jesus obviously was focused on the day when he would begin his public ministry, but I don't think he was miserable. I don't think he was doing nothing. I think he was just being an influence as best he could within the limitations the Father had told him to. And so we reap the consequences of that with the book like James and Jude. If you're not circumcised, you ought to say, praise the Lord. Because for a grown man, that's major surgery. It takes about three weeks to recover from. And thank the Lord for the revelation of the new covenant. And James obviously understood the heart of Jesus towards the law. He, he didn't destroy it, but he fulfilled it. And his desire wasn't that his followers all become circumcised Jews, but we serve him and fulfill his purposes as Gentiles. So that brings us to the name of our church, Generations Church. It's our desire that we're here for years to come. And that means we've got to reach more than just our generation. We've got to reach the ones that are coming. We've got to do our part. Obviously, no one of us can do all the work. It takes us all. And so in this church is an army of adults that minister to children, young children, and older children. And if you have not been convicted of a felony crime against persons, you can serve in children and youth ministry in some capacity. If you have, you can serve in men's ministry. Come talk to me afterwards. We've got lots of things we can do. <laughs> Joe Duncan oversees our guardian system. And there will be background check run and a class to go to and stuff like that. And so how would you like how I squeeze that commercial <laughs> in teaching from James? But I love it. Anyway, any questions or comments? You know, Pastor, you were talking about Jesus and his, his youth. And one of the things is that, you know, we're reminded in Luke that Jesus continued to grow and increase in his knowledge and wisdom in favor of God and man. Like you said, he was probably, being the, being the firstborn, he was probably helping his mother and his father out with the, with the children and guiding and directing them. Not a lot like we would be as firstborns. I mean, I was the firstborn, and my mom named me Little Hitler because I used to line my kids, my brothers and sisters up and make them do the chores while I watched over them. But, you know, <laughs> Jesus had wisdom. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, he... He did everything he could to make life easier for his mother and for his father and, and gained that, that wisdom and understanding and, and favor with man and God. 
you have any comments or questions, Brother Greg? I did want to know if you had any information in regards to, I know that the, the book of James was was one of those that barely made it into the canonized scriptures. Did you have any information on that? Uh, the only thing I found is it's one of the oldest books. Uh, some people say James wrote his book to counteract the teachings of Paul to bring balance to them, but this book was written before Paul's books. Would you like to hear some practical wisdom and life-changing truth penned by a brother who spent more time with Jesus Christ than any one of the original disciples? Come join us at Generations Church each week for a live men's Bible study as we learn from the book of James, featuring over a dozen different speakers sharing from their hearts personal illustrations and life-changing applications sure to revolutionize and renew the minds of everyone attending. If you can't make it here, you can still join us from anywhere in the world via telephone. For a live conference call that will include you in this biblical journey, simply call us at 712-432-1500. That number is 712-432-1500. At the prompt, dial 743-883 and then hit the pound sign. That code again is 743-883, and then hit the pound sign. And that will connect you to us each Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here at Generations Church of Granbury, Texas. God bless you. Come join the game.